All right, well, welcome back. I, I want to just say hello to everybody watching online and in the VHQ venue and everybody here. We continue to be in person and online simultaneously. And again, that is our plan as we continue to go forward for the rest of 2020. Uh, and one of the roles and responsibilities of leaders, uh, of dads, uh, of really anybody who's in charge and has responsibility is to define reality. Where are we? It's like, where are we? Right? I mean, you can't even go anywhere with a map unless you're like, well, I don't, it doesn't even matter where I'm going if I don't know where I am. And let me just tell you where we are. We are 20 weeks, 20 weeks in this COVID crisis. It's a health crisis, like I've told you before. It's a health crisis at every level. It's a physical health crisis. It's a financial health crisis. It's a mental health crisis. It's an emotional health crisis. It's a spiritual health crisis at every level. And it's lasted now longer than the NFL season. Okay? 20 weeks is a long time. This is our fifth week back in person. And I want to let you know that we will continue. We will always make decisions. In fact, I want to say this right to the camera, right to everybody watching at home, because we know the majority, we've, we've had hundreds across the last five weeks. We've had hundreds of people uh, come on, Sunday, on Thursday night. Uh, and we know the majority are still watching online. And I just want to continue to say in this room and there, we will always, as long as I'm the lead pastor here, we will always make decisions based on conviction, never on convenience, and never on cultural opinion. So that we are going to continue to take our next step. We are planning, and we are praying, and we are preparing, and I really mean that, to come up with a clear plan. Because let's be honest, it's the middle of the summer, and most of you are not doing well. Right? And what is this? The summer's like already, it's kind of lethargic, and you went to the lake, and you went to the pool, and some things are open, and some things aren't open. And you went to the beach, and your calendar was changed, and your sports teams were rearranged, and whatever. Right? And then on top of it just being July, it's just like, it's just a time to be lazy, lackadaisical, maybe lethargic. I mean, how are you doing? How are you doing? I don't know, would you say you're thriving? Would you say you're flourishing? A couple of you are. I talked to a handful of you. It's like both of you are doing great. We're glad to hear that, right? <laughs> Most of us are not doing well. I feel it. And we are, I'm just, we're trying to talk about things in the most honest way. None of this is in my notes. <laughs> this is all, you're like, uh-oh, yeah, this is all from my heart right here. <laughs> we are trying to talk about this in the most honest way possible, Okay. Because we want to continue to honor both those in person and those who are unable to come and continue to watch for various reasons online. We continue to now be one church in many, 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 many locations, okay? Uh, as, as we are, have an online presence and an in-person presence here. But, but our hope is to, at the right time, in the right way, to bring people back cautiously and compassionately but courageously. Because everybody who's come to the in-person service, and I've talked to about, they've said something like this to me. I forgot. I, it's, I mean, you're like, well, you don't forget something in like t 10 or 12. No, you do. And people go, I forgot what it was like to sing together. I forgot what it was like to be in the room and hear the word together. It's, not, it's like people think it's, it's, it's HD and then it's 4K if you come. No, no, no. It's static on the radio. And then it's IMAX theater. Is what, and I say that with all compassion to everybody who can't come. The church, this is not a new thing for the church. In one sense, this is why it's great to know church history. This is not new. And new in the sense of people can't come to church. We've had shut-ins who cannot come to church for as long as the church has existed. And every shut-in would say, well, thank God for every technological resource you throw at me, but I'd like to be there. And I know that's the heart of every true Christian. 
The heart of every true Christian says, if I could, when I can, when I know it's right, I'm going to be back. And so I want us to continue to pray for the unity of our church. Because I've said it again and again, what a divided nation needs is a unified church. And so we're going to pray for that. And we're not just going to pray for it, we're going to pursue it. One of our key values here, if you're new, welcome, is we're going to give each other the benefit of the doubt. You know, this is is amazing. This is something Christians can disagree about. They can dialogue about, they can even debate about, but we don't need to file divorce papers over. We can have genuine, honest conversations and go, look, we're all navigating a global pandemic under the conviction that the church must gather and the mission must go forward. With that said, would you genuinely, seriously bow your heads and pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we want to be unified. I pray for every person watching online. I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I want to take our next step courageously and compassionately. Lord, help us, each of us. I I pray for every, particularly, I feel led right now to pray for every man and every husband and every father to lead his family. Lead them either to come to church, to be in person, or lead them to stay home, but lead them. And for, to take on, we're going to talk about stewardship today, to take on the responsibility, the privilege, and the burden of leadership. Lord, help us to define reality and give hope, because I know there's going to be a day we're going to be able to fully gather back together. There's a day where COVID will be in the rearview mirror of all of our lives. Until that day, give us much grace in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open up your Bibles to Matthew 25. If you're new, welcome. What we normally do is, I mean, I'm a Bible guy. If we didn't call this Two Cities Church, we would have probably called it Jesus Bible Mission Church. Okay, that was the second name, Two Cities One. Okay, Um, I'm a Bible guy. Open up. We're going to be talking about stewardship today. We're in a series called Identity. Here's the big idea. Whose are you and who are you? And those are two questions that you're going to need to answer the rest of your life. Okay, whose are you? It's the question of like, where do I belong? You know, like, whose are you ultimately? Like, if you go to, if you were in North Korea, uh, not North Carolina, North Korea, they're a little different. Um, North Korea, and you talk to Kim Jong-un, he would tell everybody in North Korea they're his. They belong to him. He's a totalitarian dictator. And kings and dictators for hundreds and thousands of years said, you belong to me. Now, no Americans think that. But where do you belong? It's like, do you belong to a political party? Is that where you, is that whose you are? Maybe you don't belong to a political party. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe the average American thinks I belong to myself. I belong to my desires and my f- affections, and the truest part of me will come out across time if I do what feels good. Well, none of that is helpful. So we have to ask the question, whose are we? And then who am I? Who am I is a question of like, it's a question of purpose. You know, like, who am I? They, when somebody asks that, they're like, well, what should I do? Because the only reason you want to know who you are, it's like, well, why do you want to know who you are? So you get fuzzy feelings in your stomach? I mean, why do you want, you want to know who you are? So you're like, what can I do? So that at the end of your life, which we'll get to at the end of the sermon, you don't regret everything. Because there are people like that. I've met people like that. And you don't want to be like that. You don't want to come to the end of your life and go, well, yeah, whose I was and who I am. And I didn't really know. And it was a real waste. And so this series on identity is very important. I mean, we are talking about the most, this is what happens every, every Sunday. But we are talking about the most important things in the world right now. So this idea of identity it comes down to the gospel has to be the main message, the main motivation, the main story that you're listening to, right? I mean, think about this with me. Everybody has a message that they're listening to. The average message today is you can do whatever you want. It's like, mm, you can do whatever you're good at if they're hiring, okay? <laughs> you cannot do whatever you want. You can do whatever you're good at 
dot, 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 if they're hiring. Okay, that's it. Um, that's not the message you want to believe in. Uh, everybody needs to be defined by a message, be defined by a story. The message in the story that the Bible tells us is the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And what God has done for sinners, and it's the only story, it's the only message, it's the only motivation that is bottomless, that we can keep going back to. And so we're in this series, and by the way, we gave you these, these guides. And let me just tell you about these. Um, every Monday, if you're not on our email list, email Carrie, it's on the website, she'll get you on this email list. I want to tell you, we put these guys together, and this is not like, this is not like feel bad for us or anything, but I do want to tell you this. We put these guys together, and it takes a lot of time for our team to do this. This is not a guilt trip. I'm just, I'm telling you, it takes a lot of time to be, try to be biblical, practical, helpful, beautiful. Because we try to make it look decent, you know? And so it comes to you, and so we, we, we hope that you find it helpful, useful. Maybe you say, well, you know, I've never had a quiet time, I need to use it. Uh, maybe you said, well, you know, I, I, I'm, my community group needs a little, you know, motivation. Okay, let's do this instead. Let's, let's go deeper. And part of it is like, you know, we can't, in 40 or 50 minutes of me talking about it, we can't get into everything. So you need these, you need these guides. Second thing I want to tell you is, parents, some of you are here, many of you are watching online. Um, we are putting out kids' videos. We are putting out kids' content. Because guess what? There's no Thursday kids' service right now. There's no kids' community group. We're trying to put out content. Kids' week's one thing. The kids' parade was another thing. Uh, now these videos are another thing. But here's, here's the thing for all of us. The resource is only as helpful as a responsible parent is. The resource isn't helpful. The parents like, well, we don't ever watch it. We never talk about it. And, you know, we forget about it. And so we want to continue to resource you in this season. And one thing that we can just all admit about this, in person, online, whatever, is that we are going to need to be incredibly intentional. We are going to need to be incredibly disciplined. We are going to be incre need to be incredibly deliberate. If, we, if Christ and the church is important to us, we're going to make some really big decisions in this next season of our lives to make sure we're connected to both, no matter if we're here online or here in person. And so we're, we're getting into these. So the gospel, I got to go quickly through these. Worshiper we talked about. That's the idea that, you know, every problem in your life is ultimately a worship problem. It's like, well, you got problems in your marriage. You have worship problems that are showing up in your marriage. That's what's happening. You know, and you want to get your vertical relationship right so all your horizontal relationships can go right. That's, that's how that works. And then there's family. And, and Pastor Caleb did a great job on that. Here's the big idea on family. Every Christian needs a church, okay? And you can't understand yourself apart from community. And this is even more important because guess what's happened with community? Don't think about community as time and place. Some of you think about community as in time and place. My community group meets on Tuesdays at 8. Wrong. I mean, not wrong. I guess it's right because that's, that's what it meets. What I mean is wrong in the sense of all you thought about was time, place, time, place. That's not helpful. I mean, so what happens when that time and place shift or that's the two hours you're hanging out and re responsible for one another? What have you thought about it? responsibility and relationship? Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, we moved online. No big deal, responsibility and relationship. Well, some of us come in person. Some of us are still online, responsibility and relationship. Some of us are very anxious. Some of us are, are very depressed. No problem, responsibility and relationship. Well, we're, we're gone a lot this summer and we're on vacation, so we're not gathering. Well, that's okay. Responsibility and relationship. And so that these are huge ideas. And then last week we talked about witnessing, that we're not taught to be God's attorney. But we're to be God's witness. We're not to defend God. Everyone's worried, like, are they going to ask me about literal seven-day creation and, you know, or evolution? And it's like, don't worry about all that. Testify that Jesus Christ has changed your life and begin to see what happens. So today we're on stewardship. And I'm passionate about this because stewardship is, there are two major themes in the Bible, salvation and stewardship. And this is good to know. Salvation 
uh, the, the main idea of salvation is that God pursues you, you don't pursue God. The first thing Adam and Eve do after they sin is what? They hide. God comes running after you, coming and running after them and goes, where have you been hiding? Which is the question God's always asking you. Where have you been hiding? So he says, where have you been hiding? God's always pursuing us. The story of Genesis to Revelation is a story of God's pursuit of man ending with God face-to-face with man at the end of time because we've trusted in Christ. That's the story of salvation. The other story is stewardship. Stewardship is this question, what will you do with all that I've given you? And it's such a big idea. Those are the, so there's actually, I'll, I'll tell you what's on the final exam. When you die or Christ returns, there are two questions. I'm going to give you the cheat sheet ahead of time. These are two questions on the final exam. Um, one is a salvation question, one is a stewardship question. The salvation question is, what did you do with my son? What did you do with his perfect life? What did you do with his substitutionary death? What did you do with every call and command he placed upon you? What did you do with it? And then the other question will be, what did you do with my stuff? I don't know, like the two or three kids I gave you, and you know, the decent job I gave you, and health, and you know, we're living longer than we've ever lived. What did you do with all these things? And these are incredibly important questions for us to ask and for us to answer, because here's why this is so important. Most people, this is good to know too, most Americans regret long-term, not what they did, but what they failed to do. In every study that's shown up, in the short term, you always regret what you did. You're like, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have drank that. I shouldn't have ate that. I shouldn't have whatever. Well, that's short-term thinking, and we all understand that. But long-term, people always regret long-term what they failed to do. You know, man, I should have, should have pursued that relationship, should have gone back to school, should have reconciled with my dad before he died, should have shared the gospel with my friend when I was in college. And that's a good thing to know because you don't want to be, and I don't want to be, you don't want to be the kind of person that has a lot of regrets. That's no way to live your life. So that at every season and every stage of your life, you're looking back with regret. We don't want that. So let's look at Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. All that was introduction. Okay. (laughs) Uh, For it will be, this is Jesus talking. It's good to know that almost all of Jesus' parables are about stewardship. I don't talk about money enough. I don't. Not according to Jesus. And we're not just talking about money because it's your time, it's your talent, it's your treasure, it's even your temple. I added a fourth T, okay? Uh, your temple is your body, okay? It's, it's, all, it's all four of those. I may add a fifth T by the end of the sermon. Okay, we'll see. But it's, it's the idea of the stewardship of all God's given you. So it says this, for it will be like a man, and by the way, that'll be God in this story. He's going on a journey who called his servants, that's you and me, that's every person who says, I follow Jesus. And I entrusted them. Do you hear the language of stewardship? Stewardship is the opposite of ownership. Ownership is what's mine is mine. I'm going to get all I can and sit on the can. Okay, you know, it's like that's that's all that we want to do. It's like, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, I entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to the other two, and to the other one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Here's the big idea for stewardship. Here it is. We have responsibility while Jesus is away and accountability when he returns. This is, this is your life if, if you're a Christian. This is, this is your life that Jesus Christ has given you things to do. And, and you know, if you, take, if you would take about 10 minutes, you'd probably know what they are. They're mostly in front of you. You've mostly been avoiding and ignoring them and hiding them in the fog. 
But there's a lot of things that he would like you to do. It's really clear. It's why he gave you a book. It's written down. You know what to do. And he's gone away, and it says he's gone away for a long time. And then he's going to come back, and, you know, either when he returns or you die, you're going to have to give an account for your life. You know, you don't die and stand in front of a mirror, right? You die and stand in front of God. And so this idea of stewardship is very, very important. And I want us to see a few principles of stewardship that, that come up. Uh, the first is this principle. Life is not fair. I know you're like, that's, you know, some of you are like, I knew it. That's it. <laughs> he said it. No, we, we, we know it when you're two. You know it when you're three. You know it when you're four, right? And it doesn't even bother you, right? It only bothers you when, when you're on the bad side of life not being fair. When you get the job and everyone does, you're like, well, I guess it's just how it works, you know? Not everyone get the job. Not everyone can live in this neighborhood, right? It's just how it is. But we're on the other side of it. We don't like it. Now, why do I say life's not fair? What happens here? One guy gets five talents. One guy gets three talents or two talents. One guy gets one. Now, now let's talk about talents. Talents, um, it's not what you think. Don't think America's got talent. Don't think, don't think like unique abilities. A talent was a unit of measurement of weight, a big unit of measurement of weight. Most people think this is a reference to silver. So one talent of silver would be about a quarter million dollars. So actually the encouraging thing, and kind of we're going to go back and forth and talk about a couple different things. The encouraging thing is, no matter what God has given you, it's a lot. But the, 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 it, we have to understand that life's not fair. See, we, we live in a society that's very, very confused right now about a lot of things, right? Um, so everybody wants equality. Equality! It's like, it's a great word to yell, you know? And, and nobody's going to disagree with it. That sounds, sounds like a good idea. And it is a good idea if we're talking about significance, value, dignity, worth. But what the Bible tells us is, look, look, life is not fair. And we're going to get this, that you're only going to be responsible for what God's given you. But that we have to realize, hey, some get five, some get two, some get one. And here's what we t tend to do. We tend to be incredibly envious of the people who have five talents, right? I mean, I, I, again, I tell a lot of stories about being at Dukes. Some of you think I went to Duke. Nope, just did ministry there. Could, could never have gotten in there, okay? <laughs> um, but, I, but I did ministry at Duke for four years, and it was like I spent half my time trying not to be jealous of the kids at Duke because they would just say things like, I mean, hey, what are you doing over spring break? Well, you know, my grandmother bought me that first-class ticket to her second home in Hong Kong. True story. You're like, that, that's an exact, no, that happened. That, that, you, you just, you hear these people and whether where they lived or who they knew or who their parents were or who they were connected to. I remember one guy, he tell, told me the name of the school he went to. Um, I'm forgetting it right now. He went to some boarding school and he said the name of it. And I go, I never heard that. He goes, it's where George Bush went. I said, who? And I looked it up and it was like $48,000 a year starting in kindergarten. And he said, he said to me, he goes, yeah, but when, when my parents, he said that my parents sent me there and the, the board there or whatever, the leaders there promised I'd never get into anything worse than Boston College if I went there. I'm like, I could never get into Boston College, you know? <laughs> but these kids, they're five talents, right? And we'll see, there's a new responsibility when you're a five talent, okay? It, it, you know, but we'll get there. Um, but then, so we, we envy those with five talents and then we love the stories of those with one talent we don't want to be that person, right? We're like, isn't it so amazing how Johnny overcame every obstacle in his life, all his life? And we go and we see the Forrest Gump movie and we see Rudy and we see all these stories and we cry. We're like, I don't think I want to be that person. Though they're incredible stories. I think most of us end up being two talent people. 
You know, we don't have five talents. We don't have one talent. A lot of us have been given two talents. And I want us to, to look at what happens here. Because these men are given three different amounts. One is given five, one is given two, one is given one. Well, let me ask you this. What has it, and this would be something, you may not journal about this right this second, but this would be a great question. What has God given you? I mean, to be honest with you, we live in such an ungrateful society. People are just so ungrateful. They're so ungrateful for their parents. They're so ungrateful for where they got to be born. They're so ungrateful for their health. They're so ungrateful for their education. It's like, what would it look like to be, stewardship actually starts with gratefulness. It's like, what has God given you? What skills has God given you? I don't know the answer to all these questions. What relationships has God given you? What network has God given you? What knowledge of the Bible and of truth has God given you? Because here's the second point. Play the hand that God has dealt you. Play the hand that God has dealt you. I want you to see this. He who had received five talents, what did he do? He said, well, this is what God's given me. I'm not going to complain that I didn't get six or seven or ten because, you know, who knows? This is arbitrarily three numbers. I mean, somebody else probably got ten somewhere. He says, all right, I'm thankful for my five. Okay, great. So he who had received five talents, he went at once and he traded with them. And he made five more. So also... He who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. So we see three different men given three different amounts because life's not fair. Two of the men respond basically the same, even though they were given different amounts. They make and they multiply and they mature what they have, they, you know, and then one guy goes and he hides it. And I want to talk about this for a while because it's something we're thinking about. You know, the, the whole idea here is that you should play the hand that God's given you. It's like, well, what's your best strategy? Stop comparing. Stop competing. Stop complaining, right? Too many of us, our whole life is about looking at what God has given other people through a filtered social media account, which isn't real, by the way. And it's okay, I'm not mad about it, okay? Here, here's what, I've had to figure this out. It took me about the last six months to figure this out. What Instagram is and what Facebook is, they're not bad things. They are public photo albums, family photo albums. And you don't expect to ever, back in the day before they existed, you wouldn't expect to go over to someone's house and then show you a bunch of sad pictures, right? You wanna see our photo album? Here's all the terrible things that happened in our life. It's like, no. <laughs> all the photo albums are vacations and highlights and honeymoons and anniversaries and birthday parties, and we get it. You know, the, the problem is it's happening all the time. And what we're doing is we're comparing our unfiltered lives to other people's filtered lives. We're comparing our B-roll to their highlight roll. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. There's a picture I want to show you. It should show up on the screen in a second. Okay, this is a picture of my family. This is an interesting picture. It was taken right when we got into this building. And I'll just leave it up there for just a minute as I talk. I, I, I want you guys to see this picture because when, it, when we first put it out there, Carrie, who's over our communications, she came in and this is a couple days in, and she said, I got to tell you, I didn't, know that she, I didn't know she took the picture, and then I didn't know until it was put up online that it was going online, and I saw it, and, I, and she said, hey, that is the most liked picture in the history of Two Cities Church so far. I said, well, that's pretty cool, and then I looked at the picture, and I thought, nobody knows the story behind that picture. 
That, I mean, does it look like, I mean, you look at that picture, I don't know what you think, okay? You may look at that picture, and you may think, isn't that amazing? If you saw it the first time, and you knew I was the pastor there, and you may say something like, man, isn't that amazing that Kyle goes to church with his family every Sunday? Every Sunday? I have never once gone to church with my family, ever, since I've been a pastor. I mean, never. We don't drive. I'm here three or four hours before they are. So that would be, you would not get that from that picture. And then you'd go, man, that is amazing. So if he doesn't do that, maybe he goes out to the car, and maybe he goes and meets his family, and then he walks in with them. I never, ever, ever do that. <laughs> My dear wife wishes I would do that. I'm normally overwhelmed. You know, they come to the first service. When we had multiple services, I'm working on making sure I know what I'm going to say. Anyway, so... You're like, well, then why, why, why is that picture taken? Because my wife, her name's Margie, we got in this massive fight that morning. This massive, and I've tried to tell her before, I'm like, hey, be, be, between 5 p.m. on Saturday and like 9 p.m. on Sunday, can we just not fight about anything? But it doesn't normally work out that way. We, 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 it was probably, I, would, I don't even remember what it was, but I did something dumb, of course. And, and we had this long phone call before, like at like 7.30 in the morning when I'm already here and she's, anyway. And so we kind of resolve it on the phone, but I go out to apologize. And we, thank God, make up, you know, at, at, at the van with the kids and, and then turn around and I try to get, everyone thinks it's so cute that he's wearing that helmet. I tried to get him to take that thing off. <laughs> so if you looked at that picture, you're like, oh man, he just lets his kids do whatever. I'm like, no, I, I like was bargaining with him to take that thing off. All right, take that picture down. Um, so it's funny that what you might see is, oh, man. Now, it, it's true. For that moment, we were laughing and talking, and that's a real picture, you know. Um, but, it, but the story behind it is you would never know. How many of that's the story of people's lives? I think I've told you the story before where, you know, I saw this guy, and not, in our, not in our city, not in our church, but this guy's wife calls me, and she is crying that she's afraid her husband's going to leave her and all this stuff behind it. And then the next day, he's posting this lovey-dovey picture of the two of them. I'm like, liar. <laughs> liar, right? That's how you feel. You're like, but we don't know all that stuff on people's lives. So we, and the other thing is you can't compare, like, normally what we do is we compare our life to one dimension of their life. It's like, oh, goodness, you know, it's, it's beach time, right? You're like, how is she so fit? He, how is he so fit? It's like, well, that's one dimension of his or her life. You don't know that his spouse hates or her spouse yeah, whatever. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you don't know that the spouse doesn't like when he goes to the gym. Or you don't like how he's been ignoring his family. I'm not saying that that always happens. I'm just saying we don't know all the different dimensions. And so it's not, it's not helpful. The best thing to do is say, look, this is what God's given me. And instead of comparing, competing, trying to conquer, I'm going to create and cultivate. I'm going to take what God's given me and I'm going to do something. So I want us to see a good example and a bad example. And this is good to know because this is what God does. God gives you good examples and God gives you bad examples. If you didn't know this, this is why you like to watch movies and shows. I mean, it's very shallow to think the reason that you and I like to watch movies and shows is because we simply like to be entertained. I mean, that's, that, yes, at one level. But the reason that you feel so connected to people, the reason that you feel so disgusted by some people and so amazed at what other people do, is because in one sense you're going, how should I live my life? You know? I was watching John Q the other day. If you've never seen John Q, I mean, I can't make it more than five minutes in that movie with the crowd crying. It's about Denzel Washington going after his son and, get, and making sure his son gets heart surgery. And the, the underlying theme when I'm watching that movie is, would I ever do something like that? Am I that committed? 
And then you see all the people that stand in the way and you go, I don't want to be like that. It's like that's happening at every level all the time. And so what God gives us, he gives us good examples and he gives us bad examples. He's like, you need a vision and a counter vision. A vision is be like this. And a counter vision is God forbid you ever become like this. And so he gives us both. So here's the vision. Let's read it. The vision is um, <clears throat> chapter 16 or verse 16. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. I want to give you some principles of what you do. Because the opposite is to try to, the opposite of what you should do when God gives you something is just make your life all about consumption, right? How much beer can I drink? How much food can I eat? How many Netflix shows can I watch? How much music can I listen to? It's like, it's all a life of consumption, it's like, what, what if your life was about creating and cultivating? Here's a couple principles we see. The first thing he does is he doesn't procrastinate. I mean, how, much, how many of us were procrastinating? Right? The most time wasted is the time getting started. He's like, he gets to work right away. It's like, what do you need to be doing? It's like, you know you need to be doing it. You keep telling yourself you'll do it tomorrow. It's like, what do you need to do today? What have you been putting off? What have you been saying you're going to do on the other side of COVID, even though you have no idea when this will be over ever? I mean, are you going to press pause on your whole life? Is everything going to be in the next stage in the next season of your life? The better thing to do would be to say, hey, I'm going to do, you know, based on the sorry person that I am and the terrible plan that I have and the complete lack of discipline, I'm going to try to take something that looks like a next step. It's like, well, thank God. Because then you'll take some of what God's given you and you'll turn it into even more. Here's a couple other things. Focus. I can't show you, but in the Greek, the language there is of complete focus. You can't, I heard this said, you can't do more than seven things well in your life. And if you're a mom, Christian, wife, um, and you work a job and you want to stay in shape, okay, you got two other things you can do with your life. And same with the guys. You can't be the person who has 17 hobbies. You know, it's like, you've got to say, what, what has God given me? Then here's the other question. You ask the question, what has God put in front of me or who has God put in front of me? It's like, you know, as, as sad and pathetic as some of our lives might be, that's where we need to start. It's like, well, here I am in my, you know, some of you hate your job. Some of you hate your job. Here I am in my poorly paid part-time job where I hate my boss. It's like, well, welcome. Welcome. It's like, well, what would you do? It's like, well, maybe across time, if you'd put yourself together by the grace of God, and if you say, well, considering all things, I'll try to do my best today, and I'll just, maybe I can learn a skill set here, and maybe I can grow, maybe I can build a relationship. It's like, who knows what you'd become? He's completely focused. He's completely moving forward, and he wants to, he wants to deepen and develop what he's been given. I want you to see the opposite. The opposite is found in verse 18. But he who had received the one talent, and I don't think it has anything to do with that he had one talent. It could have been the guy with five. It could have been the guy with two. But he who had received the one talent went and he dug it in the ground and he hid his master's money. Now, this is the hard thing about parables. We don't have a lot of information. Like, if we didn't read the rest of the story, like, is that an option? Is that good? 
Is that good or bad? I mean, you know, you, 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 that's a fair question to ask. What we end up finding out, and you'll see this in just a little bit, the, the master comes back and is completely frustrated and angry and upset at what this man did. Which, it's interesting, we're actually seeing the opposite of stewardship. If stewardship is I take what God gives me and I deepen and develop and double it. I take what God gives me and I leverage it. I take what God gives me and I like cultivate and care for it, right? I mean, do you ever wonder, like, how did we get here? Like, how are the lights on and air conditioning and indoor plumbing and air travel and internet and voice sound coming through microphones? How did we get here? One word, stewardship. Somebody said, I'm going to take it. I'm going to do something with this. I'm not just going to guard it. I'm not, you're not here to guard God's stuff. You're here to take it and invest it. So what's the opposite of stewardship? A couple things. Selfishness. A lot of commentators, we don't know, a lot of commentators think maybe he hid the money so he could, if the master doesn't come, he can go back and get it for himself. Like if he takes, if he shows up with a bunch of money and starts using it, people are going to be like, where'd you get that from? If he hides it, the master never comes back. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's for him. How many of you, instead of stewardship, you're choosing selfishness? It's like, okay, you know, instead of saying, okay, how can I use my gifts, right? Because all of your gifts, I mean, they could be a blessing to you and they will be a blessing to you, but your gifts exist to serve and bless other people. And the, the most, I mean, the, the, what brings meaning and dare I say adventure to your life is figuring out what are the gifts that I have and then how can I deepen and develop them for the good of myself, others, and God's glory? I feel a constant responsibility all the time to grow in teaching. It's one of my gifts. I didn't, I didn't get a lot, okay? <laughs> it's like, so what I'm trying to do is say, how do I grow in this? I, how do I grow? My three gifts, are, are, are spiritual gifts, are leadership, uh, teaching, and evangelism. I'm not really cultivating my evangelism gift very well. I'm trying to. But we can't hide it. The first thing is, we can't be selfish. The second thing is, and I'm trying to kind of, you know, just talking here with all you guys and everyone watching online, is that I'm trying to be, it's like, how do I want to say this? I don't know. I think another thing he's trying to do is he's trying to be safe. And I want to talk about this just for a few minutes, and we're going to talk about this a lot going forward. But safety. I'm not just talking about, this is, this, of course it has something to do with COVID, but it has not, I'm talking in general, the obsession of Americans with safety. I don't know this to be true. I mean, think with me for a second, and you can even say it out loud if you want to, but is safety a biblical value? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I got a lot of no's here. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> but, but it's like, it's like I, I, I think about John Piper. You guys know John Piper, as many of you do. He's a pastor for years in Bethlehem Baptist. He said when his church was booming and it was growing, one of their convictions, they were in downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. And um, I heard him tell this story. And he said people would come all the time and they'd want to come and be on a staff team. His church was huge, five, 6,000 people. And they had just had a conviction. If you're going to be on this staff team, you're going to live in downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I heard John Piper tell the story. He said, you know, he said, people would come and they would love our church. And they would love the vision and they would love the glory of God and they would love the preaching and they would love the worship. And then they'd come to my office and they would ask me, we'd sit down and they'd ask me about the job and they knew they'd have to live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, downtown. And they said, will we be safe? 
And John Piper, and only the way John Piper could say, he says, make that your 10th question. <laughs> it's like, it's a value at some level because people are made in the image of God and we have to care and be concerned for people. But safety is not the primary value of Scripture so that we do nothing with our lives but try to guard ourselves. You know, where is the safest place for a ship? In the harbor. Is that where a ship's meant to be? It's like, no, it's not why it's designed and built. It's the greatest, safest place for it to be. But it's not, where it, it's not why it was built. And so we are going to, now we, we don't make foolish decisions. We don't make reckless decisions. I'm trying to put a lot of airbags around this as we talk about it, right? Because we, we, we want to be prudent, not paranoid. Wise, not worried. We want to take precautions, even in the midst of COVID and everything else that we're doing. But we need to continue to say, I mean, could you imagine trying to sit down with the Apostle Paul and talk to him about safety? I mean, it's com we're all laughing. It's comical. I'm going to Rome. It's like, Paul, I mean, it's like, I don't it wasn't even a category uploaded into his mind. It's, it, it has its place. Hear me say that. It has its place. But it is, what happens is when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And I think, it, I think the church in America has not, is not all that it could be this is even before COVID, is because we are so fearful. I don't know why, I, I mean, I get it. I'm not, this is, we've got to move on. Okay. So, he, so, so safety, self-preservation, the obsession with safety in our culture. He wanted to be safe. And then finally, he's short-sighted. They're all S's. Isn't that nice? <laughs> safety, um, self-preservation, selfishness, and uh, short-sighted. Basically, he doesn't, he's He's not thinking about the future. See, one of the, this is actually incredibly freeing. There actually is no safe option for you. Safety is an illusion. That's part of why it's not a biblical value. It's an illusion. I mean, actually what you see here is this guy's not safe. He thinks he's safe. He's delaying a very hard conversation with God. I mean, I don't know if I would say that's safe. And so what's happening here is he's short-sighted. He's not remembering that his master's going to come back. He's not feeling the responsibility to deepen, develop, and double what God's given him. So here's the final point. You will one day give an account. You will one day give an account. This is a clear, concise teaching of Scripture. That every person um, is going to meet with God face-to-face -face and give an account for everything done in the body, whether good or evil. Here's what it says here. Now, after a long time, and we've already been waiting, right? My eschatology, my understanding of the end times, which is the biblical understanding of the end times, um, <laughs> is that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment, which is another question to really start asking. How is Jesus Christ going to find his church if he were to return in three weeks? You know, I, and I, I'm, I'm going to tell you something I wasn't planning on telling you. I, I um, which is always dangerous, um, is, um, you know, I got, a, I got a text the other day. I was uh, from a friend of mine I discipled when he was, uh, he was at NC State. I, I, anyway, I did some ministry over there too. It's a long story. But, um, but I discipled him and he texted me. This was three days ago. I hadn't talked to him in a long time. He texted me and he said, um, hey man, do you remember when I saw you six months ago in Raleigh? 
And I was in Raleigh for something, and I bumped into him at a restaurant. And I said, yeah, I remember that, and text him back. He says, remember the guy I was with? And I said, not really. I kind of, I remember you were with somebody at lunch, and he introduced me briefly. He said, uh, I want to let you know, I, I went out to lunch with that guy um, because he's my coworker, and I was trying to share Christ with him. And this is just how, who this guy is. That's just his heart. He's taking his coworkers out, out to share. I can get emotional. He's, he's taking his coworkers out to share Christ. And he texts me. He says, hey, I'm texting you. I thought he was, was going to tell me that he led the guy to Christ. He says, I'm texting you because he died last night. He got cancer three weeks after we had that lunch, and he died last night. He said, and I just felt compelled to text you of the urgency of ministry. And here's this guy. He didn't know. He said, I don't know the guy's state. I don't know the guy's state. I shared Christ with him. He died at 41 years old or 40 years old. And there's an urgency with all the other tensions in Scripture. But there's an urgency to ministry. And there's a reality that one day each of us are going to give an account for our lives. And so here's what happens. Verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I made you five talents more. So isn't it interesting? So, so first he starts and he comes to reward people. And guess who wants to be rewarded? Those who've been faithful. Guess who's excited that the master's back and is running toward him? The one who was faithful. The one of the, there's a couple of things you can do for your own personal litmus test of where are you spiritually. There's a couple different things, but I'll give you one that works every time. How do you feel about Jesus Christ coming back? How ready, excited, and willing would you be if he split the clouds this, this evening and came back? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> there are some people who are excited. Amen. She's doing well spiritually. <laughs> um, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and so that, that, but that is a sign, right? Because a lot of times it's like, are we ready? You know, are, are we ready? It, it's a great sign of where are we spiritually? And so what's, what's happened here is he comes back and he gets reward. Let me just quickly show you the rewards. There's three rewards. Um, the first is, oh, look at verse 21. He says, his master said to him, um, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also said, he, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So three, three quick things um, he gives him. First, he gives him praise from God, and that's going to be an incredible day. Those of us who have been faithful, you know, it's just going to be, you, you know how encouraged you feel when a Christian says something to you. Imagine your creator saying something to you. Hey, well done, good and faithful servant. I know it was difficult. I know you were scared. I know you were misunderstood. Thank you so much for suffering well. I mean, that's just a powerful word. The second thing is more responsibility. He says, here, I'm going to give you more to do. Well, you know, it's like he actually gives him more responsibility because he was faithful. But then third, he says, enter into the joy of your master. I don't understand fully how this works, but Jonathan Edwards, the famous Puritan, he said he believed, and he was much smarter than any of us, he believed from Scripture that there were different levels of joy in heaven based on your faithfulness to God on earth. Nothing to do with your salvation. 
We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. But he said it this way. Everybody in heaven will be completely happy, but not everyone in heaven will be equally happy. I don't know. It's deep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Think about that for a while. But that, that, is a, that is a very deep idea. And so, but here's what I want us to focus on more, is the servant who regretted things. Verse 24. He also who had received one talent came forward saying, and what we're going to understand here is that the main reason that he wasn't a good steward is he didn't know God well enough. He doesn't know who God is. The greatest problems in your life and in my life come from not knowing God well enough. He says, he says oh, my master, I knew you were a hard man. You're reaping where you did not sow and you're gathering where you scattered. He has this terrible view of God. So I was afraid. How many people just make decisions all the time out of fear? So many people, all of their decisions and all of their life are based on fear and based on what everybody else is going to say and what everybody else is going to think. Do not live your life that way. Do not live your life out of fear. Here's what he says. <clears throat> I was afraid. I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have it back what is yours. Verse 26, but his master answered him. His master gets to the heart of it. You're using your fear as an excuse. This is interesting. This, we're going to get really deep in this. Some people say they're afraid, but it's an excuse for them to be wicked and lazy. There are people who are really afraid, and they need to be counseled, and they need to be cared for, and they need to be walked through, and they're dealing with real anxiety, and we have incredible compassion on those. And there are other people who will use fear as an excuse to be worldly and ungodly and to not reconnect to the church and to not confess sin, and to not open up. And so here's what's happening. But his master answered, you wicked and slothful servant. Was it that his servant was doing nothing? Probably not. He was just doing whatever he wanted to do. He was busy with the comfortable and the convenient. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. He said this, verse 27. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, it will be given, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant in the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the language of remorse and regret, which is what I want for none of us. And we've all felt this. Let me just be really honest. I, I, I have felt regret almost every time I left a season and stage of my life. Like, I, I remember every year I lived in a dorm in college, and I lived in the dorm to do ministry, and at the end of every year, I was just like, I didn't really do much ministry. And then the 30 or 40 guys in my hall, I'd never see them again, because they all moved to apartments off campus. And then we lived in a small little house in Greensboro for a couple years, and I didn't really ever get to know my neighbors, and I left, and I thought, I didn't really get to know my neighbors. And I kind of regret how I used that. And it's very easy. Do we get those experiences in life where you look over a certain season of your life and go, I wasted it. And we don't, wanna, we don't at the end of our lives, want to feel like we have wasted it. So what, but what do we do? You know, because the, the idea of a wasted life, it, it reminds me of a story. It reminds me of a very famous story, maybe the most famous story that Jesus told. 
This by far is not his most famous story, the parable of talents. But the parable of the two sons, the parable of the prodigal son, which is often called. Because what happens in the parable of the prodigal son? A guy with five talents squanders everything. If you don't know that story, a rich kid takes all his dad's stuff and squanders it on sinful, selfish living. And it's like, well, what do you do if in some season of your life, or maybe your whole life has been about selfishness, safety, and short-sightedness, and all you've done is taken everything that God's given you and you've buried it? What do you do? It's like, well, you go home to God. And what the amazing thing is, what we see, when we see the full picture of the grace of God, we see that when the prodigal son comes home, the father was waiting for him, running to meet him. And one of the questions that comes out of that story, because critics read that story and go, how can a father be so gracious to a son who is so terrible? And the answer is because we understand that Jesus Christ is really the only person who was ever truly a five-talent person who did everything. Did he waste any time in coming to get us, living the perfect life, dying for our sins, rising from the dead? No, he went right at once. He took everything God gave him, though God only gave him 33 years. He took it and he leveraged it. Instead of saying, I'm going to take it and I'm going to bury it in the ground, he says, instead, I will die and I will be buried in the ground. Because the truth is, none of us are ever going to fully cultivate and care for everything God's given us like we should. And we are going to need the grace of God as we take our next step. As we take our next step and say, God, what have you given me? How can I deepen it, develop it, double it? Lord God, what have you given me? How can I make more of it and multiply it? Let's pray that together. Pray with me. Lord, that's our prayer. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to be good stewards. I want to just take a moment and I want everyone to ask themselves real personally, God, what have you given me? I want to pray for the parents because it's time, starting with myself, for us to see that one of the greatest gifts that, that you've given us, if we're parents, is our kids. One of the greatest stewardships of our lives will be our children. Lord, I want to pray for people who they need to learn how to steward their money. Lord, teach us all that money is to be a tool, not an idol. Lord, help us to steward our time. You've given us all the exact same amount of time during the day. We don't know, but we don't know how much time we have left in our life. That's all different for each of us. Lord, help us to steward the gifts you've given us by first letting us realize them, Lord. Part of the reason we get in community is so we realize the gifts you've given us, Lord. Help us to realize those anew in this season, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.